Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Scamps and Red Grouper. I'm going to be featuring Captain Todd Skeen of Shenanigans Sport Fishing, operating out of the Hampstead area. And we're going to be covering such areas as finding spots, setting up on spots, rigs and bait, and then upping your grouper game in general It will be the topics tonight. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving that saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in this latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And our goal there is to get you excited, to get you motivated to go fishing yourselves and not just more fish more often, but to get you and your family out on the water spending more time together more often. I'm joined in this episode, just as I am in every saltwater fishing podcast episode with Billy Thorpe of Copilot Studio, a podcast studio offering podcast services for hire. Billy, here we are again. Gary, good to see you, man. Looking good. Looking fresh, as always, in your polo shirt. (laughs) I put it on just for the podcast. I know, man. I've never seen you wear polo. I dress dress up for the podcast. I do too. I wear a clean (laughs) t-shirt, so we're in good shape. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, get a little different studio setup, so it's a little different. You're a little further away from me, but it's good. It's gonna be good. I hope it's only literal distance and not figurative <laughs> distance. That's it. That's the only way I'd have it, man. Okay. <laughs> we'll mention uh, RA Hitch real quick. These guys are uh, hitches, trailers, bike racks, all kinds of stuff, uh, right there in the Raleigh Apex area. So go check out RA Hitch. Chris and his team uh, do a fantastic job, Gary. So we always uh, appreciate those guys calling us and and really reaching out to us to to be sponsored of the show, man. They love the show, so. It was a cool, cool connection. I agree, man. I mean, they reached out. They said, man, like what you're doing. Want to want to try out, try yeah. out the value here. And I mean, I think we both went to their website, checked it out and professional, clean, easy to navigate. And I'm starting my search for a new trailer. I'm on oh, for a on new it. Fisherman's mm-hmm. Post trailer. I'm going to start it right there at R.A. Hitch. All right. Well, that's good, man. I'm, he's going to be excited. Maybe you'll go before this air, the show episode. But I can, <laughs> I can get, I can get a discount, right? No, I don't know. I thought Actually, if they you can sa- get $20 off. There you, I go. You get 20 bucks, yeah. When I think discount, I think percentages, not dollar amounts. But yeah, go over there, tell them I sent you from Fisherman's Post Podcast right. and get your $20 off of your trailer. Sweet. Dude, 20 bucks off a new trailer, bro. That's really going to put you in a good position financially. Like It's going to work for you. It's a, it makes it a no-brainer. I'll, maybe I'll buy two. Oh my gosh. Uh, speaking of buying two of something, you should buy two boats and give me one from Marine Warehouse. You want to see their video, Gary? Every time I Here want to see go. it. Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for Pair Custom Boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock, and build times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wells. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country.
I like it. Almost forgot my Marine Warehouse hat. Luckily, it was sitting right beside of me. Good sponsor plug. Here we go, right? We love those guys. <laughs> we love them, dude. We Sales, love them. service, parts, a part of the fishing community and boating community. And jokes. And I could go on. Well, jokes. They got jokes? That is the worst part of their game. <laughs> Poor Terrell. Terrell, I didn't say that to you, buddy, okay? I like your jokes. I, I enjoy said them. I said it's the worst part of their game. <laughs> Terrell, well, here, I'll let you judge. You want to hear his latest? <laughs> I would love to, man. I'm excited about it. What do you call, and again, this is coming from Terrell. I need to be clear. This is not my joke. What do you call a naked fish? I don't know. A bear acuda? <laughs> All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, Gary. You got to give it to him. You are a nice soul. Terrell, Every time great, I man. am thinking, a, a you're kidding me, you think it's a good joke. No, I do. I sound Ter- effect worthy. I just know you hate them. So. I'm going to have Terrell start calling you with jokes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Give him my number. Hey, uh, fish photo me. All right, here we go. We got Jessica Blue. How do you say her name? I don't know. She landed this 27.8 pound black fin tuna on a red and white skirted ballyhoo. Uh, she was fishing out of Riceville Beach with Captain Jimmy Hobbs. Good-looking tuna there. Good-looking tuna. Yeah, man. That's a big one. That's yeah. a big black fin. I swear there hasn't been any tuna jokes on this show yet. I think I have had one. <laughs> oh, I mean, Terrell has had Terrell. one. <laughs> Terrell. Terrell had one. I think Terrell had one. <laughs> oh, man. I don't have any more jokes, Gary. I'll tell you what I'm not joking about is loving coffee and loving people supporting us with coffee. It's been one of my most surprising things and that is a giant graphic which i have no idea how i got on there but you can go to billy buy, buy. what did we talk about we talked about you bringing in a game so i could bring a c game tonight all right i'm gonna try one more here we go hey. buy me a coffee uh, for people who don't know buymeacoffee.com is a place where you can go and support creators like gary and i who create podcasts so if you enjoy the show you want to make a contribution to our coffee addiction uh, or to my boat or to <laughs> studio stuff or whatever, uh, feel free to go do that. We've had several people support and, I mean, surprising, man. Like We get excited it's every amazing. time. Yeah, it's amazing. So thank you guys. We message them back. We get excited every time. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's amazing, man. People want to support creators, especially in the fishing world. And I love it. So can continue on. All right. Well, listen, remember, at the end of the episode, as is customary i come back to you for billy's best takeaway we're talking scamps and reds i'm coming to you for billy's best takeaway and we know from experience because he's been a previous guest that we're going to get a lot of you're going to get a lot of information got my pen handy ready to go all right so now i'm transitioning i'm transitioning to welcome to the stage captain todd skeen of shenanigans sport fishing um, operating out of the Hampstead area we're going to be talking about scamps and red groupers welcome to the show captain todd thank you for having me yeah, man, it's a pleasure to have you back. It's a, again, bottom fishing has a special place in my heart. It's one of my favorite. And your approach, as we've talked about before, I can identify with. If I'm on a headboat, I'm not worried about a stringer. I'm worried about a grouper. Everything is bycatch. I'm only grouper fishing. And I love that that's one of your mantras. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about finding spots, setting up on spots, rigs and bait, upping your grouper game in general. But there's... As always, the tradition, two questions before we get to the main event. Captain Todd, why should we listen to what you have to say about a scamp or a red? 
I definitely don't have all the answers and I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I catch a good number of nice scamps and reds every year. Um, I meant to go back through my logbook and try to see how many citation size fish I got last year over 20 pounds, but I would say somewhere in the 15 to 20 range of, you know, red grouper, scamp grouper over 20 pounds. Um, I get a you know fair, fair number of them. Well, right on. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I've, I've been in, you had me at scamps and reds. We're, <laughs> we're talking. So question number two, as is tradition is a non-fishing related question. We're going to play a rhyme game. So the first answer rhymes with scamp, a famous 1955 movie, the lady and the tramp. All right. Yeah. It was a, it was a softball pitch, but you yeah. did well. I mean, even I could get that. Second answer <laughs> rhymes with reds, famous eighties band led by David Byrne. The talking heads. All right, there we go. I'm sorry I didn't challenge oh, you. Oh man, Terrell's jokes are way better than your questions, Gary. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he has trivia pedigree, and I under challenged him. Yep, he's you get a smart guy sitting across the table from you. Damn you gotta, it, you gotta bring it better than that. Damn it. All right, here we go. Oh, well, hang on. Now. Do you guys, you guys, up for a trivia question? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I mean, I, I got these in your wheelhouses, okay? <laughs> so I'm gonna start with Billy, okay? Please. Oh, now, Billy, being the creative genius that you are, and in this industry, you're familiar with the False. term. <laughs> oh wait, you're familiar with the term <laughs> podcast, correct? I'm familiar. All right. Who coined that term in 2004? I have no idea. It's a uh, great question. That'd be BBC journalist Ben Hammersley. All right. Well, good for him. And he just knew that. He didn't look it up. I'm sure he didn't. He just, <laughs> he's an encyclopedia. Just like I never look him up. <laughs> uh, and then, Gary, I got one for you. If I'm not mistaken, your alma mater would be East Carolina University. Correct. All right. I'm going to give you. Oh, that wasn't it. <laughs> I'm going to give you a true false. Uh, one of their claims to fame is they're one of the few universities that offer cartography as a major. Um, true. That is true. Correct. Um, I don't know why I went with true. I, re I, mean, I remember I some friends in the diving program, but I don't even know if that has anything to do with cartography. But that, I, even though the points might not connect, apparently I got right. All right. Yeah. You're one. For, you guys are one for two. That's not bad. Yeah, I get the hard one, Todd. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I should have given you multiple choice. My apologies. So I'm guessing, I'm going to transition this back to Scamps and Reds. I'm yes. guessing that if anyone's ever talking to you about grouper fishing, about bottom fishing, about Reds and Scamps, hey, man, give me some numbers. Give me some numbers. It's all about spots. Mm -hmm. So help us out. Yeah, um, definitely the places you fish for red and scamp grouper are important, and the best spots out there are the ones you find on your own. Um, I think a lot of people concentrate on fishing for gags, partly because gag grouper are typically closer to shore, and also there are a lot of public numbers out there for places to fish close to shore, especially, you know, Onslow Bay area of North Carolina between Wilmington and Moorhead. If you look inside of 30 miles, you're going to find a lot of numbers out there on the internet, on maps, etc. If you look beyond 30 miles, you're not going to find nearly as many uh, numbers available. You have to go kind of find those on your own. And when we're talking reds and scamps, they're out deeper. They aren't in you know, I mean, you're going to always want to be fishing at least 100 foot of water for reds and scamps. You might get a stray one every now and then at 90 foot or 95 foot, but that's uncommon. Almost always it's 100 plus. So you got to be further out there. 
So it's really that much of a line, like 90 or even 95, not so much, but 100 is that magic number. By and large, yeah. I, and honestly, I, I, I try to stay 110 feet and deeper. And in this part of Onslow Bay, where we're at, typically it's going to be 35 miles and out. Um, you, not that you can't catch them shallower mm. or closer in than that, but not nearly as many. It's going to be a, more of a fluke when you catch them in that shallow. Ever looked into why it is that they're just not going to be a shallower fish? You know, it's interesting. Um, growing up in South Florida, we would catch red grouper in 40 foot of water, keeper red grouper in 40 foot of water, but you sure aren't going to catch any keeper red grouper in, at that depth in this area. And I don't know why. I mean, I know that mm-hmm. they certainly, I don't think they like cold water. Um, just, you know, the gags don't mind cold water so much in the fall. The gags will stick, come in closer whereas the reds and scamps will push out further. So I try to look for water that's going to be at least 100 feet and at least 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, for a surface temp, I don't know you know, what it is down at the bottom where they're at, but at least you know, 70 degrees at the surface. So for someone hearing this going, geez, I'm going to go out 35 miles and just start looking around, Like, is it is it that simple? I mean, what are we looking for on the machine as we're looking around out there in the big water? Yeah. Um, the best thing I could tell people would be if you don't catch reds and scamps and you're wanting to find some good bottom where you can start catching them, go further out and you can go to some of the public numbers that are available. Um, for an ex- for example, I'll throw the WR2 out there, the Casimer. Okay. Everybody knows that, okay? It's roughly 40 miles offshore. Um, it's certainly deep enough and far enough off that there are red and scamp grouper there. Everybody knows about the Casimir. Those fish get hit hard. There's a lot of pressure on them. Um, my advice would be to go to that area, set a trolling spread out, and troll around for an hour or more. And the whole time you're trolling, you're not really looking to throw a bunch of mahi in the boat. You're looking at your sonar the whole time, and you're, you're finding the bottom that you need to find. You're hitting the button every time you see a nice ledge or a nice accumulation of fish holding tight to some hard bottom. And you're creating that data set of waypoints that you can, you know, fish, basically. And you got to know what to look for, and, and that's part of it as well. So a ledge, is it a certain element that characteristic you're looking at to go, man, that ledge gets me excited. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Part of it is when you're talking about fishing for reds and scamps and you're out in that depth, there aren't as many big ledges and rocks and drop-offs as there are in shallower. And so when I'm gag fishing in shallow, I'm finding tons of ledges and drop-offs. When I'm out deeper fishing for the scamps and reds, it's usually more live bottom. And unfortunately, a lot of people drive right over live bottom and, you know, they don't, they can't tell the difference between is that sand down there or is that hard bottom that's growing, uh, you know, uh, aquatic vegetation and holding fish, etc. And so one of the big things that folks need to learn how to do is to maximize their sonar capabilities and actually understand what they're looking at on their fish finder. So I would easily fall into that category of driving over productive bottom and not being able to discern it from a sandy bottom. And any advice you can help us? I mean, even tuning in my sonar, I'm like, okay, I can go to the user manual, but I'm not even sure what I'm going to do, what I'm looking for once I go to the user manual. 
the the best piece of advice I could give you would be to um, first of all take your sonar off of the factory settings. Okay. And the the first thing is to take it off of auto for the range because you know it's going to only shoot as deep as you are. So if you're in 110 foot of water, it's shooting down to 110 feet. Okay. Increase that by 50 percent. If you're in 110 foot of water, bump that up to 150 or 160 foot of water. And what you're going to find is now you can see the thickness of the bottom, so to speak. You can see the thickness of the return. And if you if you think about it like uh, stalactites coming off of a, of a cave ceiling, basically icicles, you know, extending down, the harder the bottom, the sharper and longer, taller those icicles are. Um, I think I emailed you some images um, if you're able to show them for people who are watching this as opposed to listening to this. It's pretty evident on the on the images what nice hard bottom looks like. That, all right, so I'm in on that and I know you sent some graphics to uh, I know you sent some graphics to Billy. so let's have Billy bring one up and walk me through what I'm looking for and what I'm looking at, all that. Okay. On, on this graphic here, this would be a perfect example of what your, this is a Garmin um, machine, but I, I think other manufacturers are going to look similar. This is a perfect example of what it looks like on factory settings. If you look at the very bottom of the screen, the dark red line going across there at about 106 feet, you can't really see beneath that, so to speak, because it's on auto um, for the auto automatic setting for the uh, depth range and what I see there is a bottom where I can't tell if it's hard or soft bottom I don't know if it's rock or sand because of that and I see a big red blob that extends up to 84 80 84 feet so basically we've got a big ball of fish that is coming up 25 plus feet off of the bottom they're almost uh, 25 feet off the bottom if you're targeting grouper, I do not recommend you fish something like this. And this is what a lot of people do fish because they're driving over in the boat and they look over and, oh my gosh, look at the sonar. It's lit up. That's huge. It's a big old massive fish. We got to stop on that. And they fish. And typically this is going to be bait. This is going to be 11 inch beeliner. This is going to be 12 inch sea bass. These are going to be small fish. Even if they're keepers, they're, they tend to be undersized fish when they're in a big school like that or towards the smaller size, uh, you know, barely legal keepers. And you're not going to have a lot of grouper in with something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I would say this, this, I'm identifying with the what not to do. I think if I had seen that, I'd been like, man, there's got to be some reason why all those fish are there. Let's, let's bomb it. All those fish are there and all those fish are so comfortable because there aren't a lot of predators around that they're schooling up 25 feet off the bottom. Okay. Don't, don't fish that. I mean, you'll catch fish. Don't get me wrong. But if you're wanting to throw nice grouper in the boat, that is not the mark to stop at. All right. So I think now we're going to go to Billy and we're going to transition to a screen of what, okay. what you do want to fish. Yeah. So th this would be an example of a, um, sonar screen where I've taken it off of factory settings and I've extended the depth or the range rather. So we're in 113 foot, but it goes all the way down to 175 feet. And so when you look at the bottom, that thick red line that is coming across there uh, on the right-hand side, you can now see these kind of icicles extending down. Basically, the more pronounced that icicle and the further down it goes, the harder bottom it is. And you can see you've got these upside down 
mountains or icicles, whatever you want to call them, spikes basically, that tells you it's hard bottom. And if we're really going group proficient 101 or understand the chart 101, that harder bottom is coral, it's just growth. Like what? what is it when you're saying and other people are talking about hard bottom? I don't even know if all of us know exactly what you mean. Hard bottom is what you want out there for grouper fishing and, you know, other species as well, because it grows more vegetation, it attracts more life than sand does. And so think of it kind of as a, this desert where you have all this sand everywhere, and then you have these pockets of oasis or oasi, I'm not sure what the plural is, and that's going to be your big rocky areas. And I'll just call it a hard bottom. Now, whether it's living coral or, you know, dead calcium carbonate or whatever it is, to me, it's hard bottom. It attracts um, the types of things um, that build the food chain up and especially the higher predators. And the sandy bottom just isn't going to have the icicles. It's going to be more... It'll just look, um, it'll just be a nondescript flat uh, red line. You won't have those icicles coming down. And then to go back to before we started talking about reading the machine, so I am not even when I'm out in 100 foot plus depths really looking for ledge variation. I'm not looking for that as much as I am the live, the hard bottom that you just showed me. That's right. And Billy, if you could put that graphic back up, um, this this particular graphic here. So it's on hard bottom. You see the those icicles again, and then look at your fish that are coming up there. Um, towards the left of the screen, you've got uh, kind of a big ball of fish that comes up maybe ten feet, fifteen feet off the bottom, and then you've got this really to the right there. You've got this really tight red darkly packed red area, that's what you want to fish for grouper. I can tell you that a 28-pound red and a 18-pound red grouper came off of this site right after I snapped this. And why am I fishing the tighter pack than the one that extends further up into the water column one more time? In general, your bigger fish are going to be, especially your grouper, are going to be tight to the bottom, and they show up with a, a deep red return packed in tightly. The higher off the bottom and the more separation in your targets, the smaller the fish usually are. So that big blob on the left there that's yellow and green and has a little bit of red mixed in, um, that's probably going to be trigger fish, um, maybe some beeliner mixed in with that. That darker red blob um, just to the right of it is where I want to try to anchor the boat on because that's going to be um, grouper almost, not almost always, but that, that's going to be grouper more, give you your best chance for putting grouper in the boat, I should say. Okay. So unless you have something else on finding spots, then maybe this is our transition into sure. setting up on spots? Yeah, absolutely. So once you've found an area that you think looks good and you see tight red uh, marks on your sonar tight to the bottom there, even if it's not associated with the depth change. If you're out in that, you know, 110, 120 foot area, that's probably going to be live bottom, hard bottom that's holding uh, reds and scamps. You got to sit up right on top of them. And either you're going to be very good at anchoring or you're going to have one of these newer um, spot lock trolling motors that can hold you in position, but you definitely want to be stationary. I do not recommend drifting over those. Um, too many people try to catch grouper and they, they don't have one of those trolling motors and they're not good at anchoring. So they just drift, you know, by default and you just don't catch very many grouper drifting. You will, you'll catch some, but you're not maximizing your chances. And why is that? 
Well, part of it is they, they, I think they really like to stare at the bait a little bit before they decide to eat it. It's not typical that I drop a bait to the bottom and as soon as it gets there, bam, I catch a grouper. More often I drop a bait to the bottom and nothing happens for a couple minutes. And then I feel a bite and a grouper comes up. You know, I, I really think that they, um, kind of stare at it and, you know, try to decide if they really want to eat it or not. Okay. And so as far as like getting over top of the spot, the, you know, getting right in the right spot, whether it's spot lock or anchor, once you have that mark, then what are the variables that you're taking in as far as like, I mean, I guess I'm thinking more along the lines of setting an anchor than just trying to press the anchor button on the spot lock. Yeah. What? So you mean the variables, how do you set up the anchor to hit that mark? Oh boy, that's a tough one to explain. Um, I tend to just fly the anchor as people call it, where I'm, you know, dragging it behind the boat from spot to spot. And it's kind of a bit of an art and a science to Mm -hmm. it. But the theory behind it is when your anchor's out, you look at your compass and let's say the compass is reading uh, 180 degrees, which would be, you know, due south basically sent you're going to swing back around to hit that spot with the anchor towed behind you and you're going to be going opposite that 180 degrees opposite which would be zero uh, or due north and then when you let go of the rope the boat will swing around in the correct position it's one of those things that uh, when you try to explain it with words it doesn't make much sense but when you actually see somebody do it you're like oh okay i get it um, yeah, I, I understand it's a complicated process to try to explain and, and even like um, implement once you do understand. So you're an anchor man. You're not a spotlight. I'm an anchor man. Absolutely. Um, I have some buddies that have spotlock GPSs and they use them and I've been on board their boats and they do work in some conditions, but I think they do also struggle sometimes when there's more chop out there and the currents are harder and the wind, you know, the wind's blowing more and, you know, the windage starts to affect them, et cetera. So they're more effective with kinder conditions and start to fail? In in general, yes. Now, I'm, that's not to, I'm not an expert at that. I've been on a few buddies' boats with those spot lock GPSs, and they definitely do work, but um, I have also seen those devices struggle in certain conditions. Um, there could be people out there that have bulletproof combinations on their boats that never fail them or let them down. I just haven't experienced that yet. But the game is get right over top of the spot that's right you want you basically when you when you settle out on the spot and you're fishing and let's say if 10 minutes goes by and you don't have any quality fish coming over the side of the boat you have to start asking okay well what's going on am i too far away from the mark Um, Well, that's easy to do. For most of these GPSs, you can just uh, touch the screen or put put an icon over the mark you wanted to hit, and it'll measure how far away you are and tell you. Um, And if I'm more than 30 feet away, I reposition if I'm not catching fish. Um, Then the other part of it would be sometimes you're on top of where you need to be, and the fish are there, the grouper are there. They're just not cooperating. And unfortunately, some people don't necessarily have a a system or a methodology to try to figure out why am I not catching these fish that I'm after and what could I be doing differently? Um, What I like to do is I bring an action camera, a waterproof, a GoPro or a Garmin Verb or some sort of action camera. And if I'm sitting on top of a spot and it marked pretty like the one, the sonar shot we just went over, and I have a high degree of confidence that there are a grouper there, 
and none are coming over the side of the boat and it's been 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I'm starting to wonder what's going on, I'll drop the camera down and then, you know, give it a few minutes, reel it back up. And um, I'm able to watch it right there on the boat once I bring it, you know, um, above water. And I've had opportunity, you know, I've had instances where I thought there were going to be grouper down there and it wasn't. Um, it was a bunch of bait fish just huddled together really tightly and I just didn't see any grouper on the screen. I've had other instances where there were a lot of nice grouper down there and they were just staring at the camera and it just took more time, different baits. I started trying different baits and I brought those fish over the, you know, over, you know, we caught them, we brought them over the side of the boat. And so in general, 10 to 15 minutes before you drop a camera, mm-hmm. if you didn't have a camera, you would spend how much time before you said, we got to do something else? If I'm there 15 minutes and there's nothing, there's no quality bycatch coming over coming into the boat and by quality bycatch I mean nice bee liners nice trigger fish nice sea bass nice pinkies of sizes where you eyeball them you're like oh yeah that's a keeper you know I, I don't even think I need to measure that you know if you're catching those types of things nice fish tend to hang together you know big fish tend to hang together so if you're getting either no fish or just a bunch of shorts and it's been 15 minutes I'm I'm moving if I'm getting bycatch that's nice and, and you know, good size 16-inch sea bass, 16-inch bee liners, I'll fish longer thinking, okay, they're probably your grouper down there. They just haven't decided to feed yet. But certainly if half an hour rolls by and there are no grouper in the boat, I'm out of there. Because right. um, I don't, you know, that's what I'm targeting. I'm not after, I'll take the sea bass and the bee liners and everything else, but that's not what I'm targeting. They're just, um, they're, they're just bycatch in my book. Okay. So I guess this is where I say too. anything else about setting up on spots? Cause then uh, next on our list, we have rigs and bait. No, I, I think that's it. I mean, you want to be as close as you can. Um, certainly within 50 feet, preferably within 30 feet. And, um, some days the grouper are moving around more and they're going to come over to you, even though you're 50 feet away, other days they're not. And that's why I'm saying it's been 15 minutes and you don't have anything to show for it. Um, if you're more than 30 feet away, you need to reposition. Okay. Well, what about rigs and bait? Rigs and bait. Um, the rig's not sexy, so to speak. It's, um, the rig I use is pretty simple. It's just a standard three-way rig. Um, I like to use these combi swivels that my buddy Nick turned me on to. I think they work very well. I don't know if we can really make this out. It's a little different than your standard three-way swivel. Um, it basically looks like two barrel swivels um, connected there. And just a short dropper loop coming off of it for your bank sinker, which is typically going to be 16 ounces if you're fishing out for reds and scamps. Every now and then on a calm day, you can hold bottom with 12. But uh, keep this nice and tight, just a few inches so that um, your bait doesn't spin very much. And then the leader part going to the hook is short, just two feet. Um, a lot of, Some guys will use longer leaders, and although the bait might present a little more naturally and move around a little more, especially if it's a live bait, the longer this leader is, the um, harder you're going to have feeling the bite. And so basically you need to keep that leader short, especially when you're learning. 18 to 24 inches is, is all I recommend. 
And what is that liter test? Oh, I'm sorry. It's 130 pound fluorocarbon. 130 pound fluoro. Yeah. And I definitely prefer fluorocarbon. Um, not so much for its invisibility, because I can tell you from my action camera that I still see the fluorocarbon liter down there when, oh, I'm, okay. when I'm looking at my, you know, I don't see it as well as the mono, but I still see it. Huh. Um, I really like the fluorocarbon because it's stiff and it has great abrasion resistance. And as we all know, these grouper love to try to get you in the rocks when they bite. And anything, you know, I just feel like the fluorocarbon gives you a better chance of winning that fight, whereas the mono tends to cut through quicker. And I noticed that you like to snell the leader to the hook and then crimp the leader to the swivel. What's the thinking there? That That's just personal preference. I, th I think you can you can crimp them all. You can knot them all. You don't have to snell it. You do whatever works for you, but make sure it works. And what I mean by that is, like these fish are big. They're strong. They're powerful. They are going to test your tackle, and they are going to find a weak spot or a weak link if there is one. So if your knot's not right, it's going to unravel. If your crimp's not right, it's going to you know fail. So however you're most comfortable doing it, do it. The methodology is not as important as doing it correctly. And when I tie these things, I've got a bolt in the wall that I hook this up to, and I give good pulls. And I might tie 100 rigs at a time, and I might have two or three of them that I thought were fine, and when I tested them, they failed. Um, oh. So I do, I mean, I, I really go over them with a fine-tooth comb before I put them on the boat. And then the uh, sinker loop, it's a lesser pound mono Yes. So, what we, yeah, the, the sinker loop or the dropper loop where the uh, bank sinker goes, I use anywhere from 60 to 80 pound mono. And the reason is I want that to break away if it gets lodged in a rock. So if you get hung in a rock from um, just the nature of bottom fishing, there are lots of nooks and crannies down there. And sometimes that sinker is going to get stuck in the bottom. Well, I'd rather lose the lead than the whole rig. So I purposely, and, and a lot of guys do this, mm -hmm. have that um, monofilament go into the sinker, uh, a, a lesser uh, poundage, so it breaks easier. So talk, I mean, I'm sure people are wanting to hear the Todd Skeen view of bait. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm ready to hear. I mean, you know, I know different theories abound, and I'm ready to hear yours. For reds and scamps, the best thing I can tell you is have a lot of bait, um, I'm not a fan of squid. It's not saying that they won't eat it on occasion, but it's not their go-to. Um, red grouper will eat just about anything. They're a little bit like mahi that way. They feed more aggressively. And so you'll catch occasional red grouper on a little squid square that was meant for a trigger fish or um, you know, a, a piece of cut bait that was meant for a sea bass or something. But by and large, you want big baits. You want things that are the size of a hot dog going down. Um, a whole cigar minnow, a whole um, Spanish sardine, a whole um, Boston mackerel, or, you know, sometimes, lots of times the Boston mackerel are pretty big. I'll cut them in half. Um, a whole menhaden, unless it's like a huge, giant turbo menhaden, then I cut them in half. So just try to think, think, you know, hot dog or, you know, sausage or something big like that as your visual. That's what you want going over, something, something sizable. And variety, it sounds to me like you have several offerings at the ready to figure it out on any given day. Absolutely. I bring a variety of bait offshore. When I go, I take dead, you know, frozen menhaden, frozen Boston mackerel, frozen cigar minnows, frozen Spanish sardines. Um, usually I'll try to have some uh, live pinfish on board. I'll have usually some uh, 
Bonita or false albacore uh, on board, I never know what they're going to want. And I've had instances where we caught a couple grouper at a spot, the bite died, we were convinced that, okay, time to go, you know, it's off, off to the next spot, bite shut down, we've caught what there is here. And I dropped that action camera down and I saw a big grouper just staring at me. And they had been there the whole time. They just, those particular fish, they didn't want what had been offered. And I kept trying new baits. And eventually I put a 20 pound gag on the boat with a big chunk of fresh bonita that, um, you know, he just, for whatever reason, wanted bonita and he didn't want any of the other offerings that he had seen. All right. I'm going to tell you one of my go-to headboat baits, both how I hook it and what I hook. And I want you to give it a grade A to F. Got it. So a whole cigar minnow hooked through the eyes, and then I put a little piece of squid on there to, in my mind, keep it on the hook longer. Yes. Um, I see a lot of people do that. Um, I'm not a huge, well, I don't do that. I wanted to be wrong. I wanted to, I want to learn. I wanted to be corrected. So you're not going to offend me in any way. I wanted to mess this up. So I, I, Okay, when you go to hook the baits, one thing would be um, just so passing the hook straight through the eyes is good. And don't try to bury the hook in the bait. A lot of people mistakenly do that because they're trying to hide the hook. They're trying to have the bait stay on the hook longer or better. That's not that shouldn't be what you're after. Um, I want all this barb exposed on the hook so that it's able to sink in that fish's jaw. And the grouper here are not. Uh, leader shy or hook shy so much. So don't worry about trying to hide it. Um, and in terms of trying to keep it on the hook longer, I'm fine with that bait coming off the hook because you're essentially what you're doing is if that bait's coming off the hook, it's a small fish that couldn't eat it in one gulp. So what did it do? It had to piecemeal it bite after bite after bite. You know, we all feel that, you know, machine gun tapping on the other end. Well, that's not what you're after, but it's releasing all sorts of vibration in the water that stimulates the lateral line of the grouper. It puts all sorts of scent in the water, a little chum cloud down there. It's part of the process, basically. And so one kind of mistake or different way I see people do this that I don't think is, is as effective is they go grouper fishing. They bring one box of bait. And they cut it up into little pieces so that they're not going through bait so much. And then they catch some um, other fish and they use those for cut bait, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I see that commonly and I just don't think it works very well. So if I'm heading offshore, I'm bringing 25 pounds of uh, frozen menhaden, 25 pounds of um, Boston mackerel, at least 5 to 10 pounds of cigar minnows, 5 to 10 pounds of Spanish sardines. Um, probably a whole dead bonita and a live well full of pinfish. And I'm clear on your boat to hook my cigar minnow through both eyes. Yeah, that's how I do it. Okay. I think it's quick and easy. Um, you can hook them through the jaw if you want, but it just takes a little bit longer. And sometimes you, if the cigar minnow is, um, not the greatest quality, you end up breaking the head off, so to speak. So no, that's how I do it. One other question. If I'm cutting a Boston mackerel in half, how am I hooking the back half? I try to hook it through the tail section and I try to get it as close to the tail, the tip, the point of the tail as I can and through the backbone. Um, but it's not critical. I just, so you have hook exposed and all the Boston mackerel have a pretty big tail fin. So I'll usually trim that off because I think that sometimes that little tail fin gets in the way or the tail, you know, gets in the way of the barb of the hook. And so I, I tend to trim that and it also makes the bait spin. I was just getting ready to think of a spin question because sometimes I bring it up and clearly it's all spun up and sometimes I yep. don't. What am I 
how do I troubleshoot that? Or how do I best guarantee I don't spin? And if I am spinning, what am I doing? What yep. do I need to troubleshoot to do different? Yep. So part, there are a number of reasons why it's spinning. Um, one thing would be the tail of the bait that you're dropping, trim the tail off if you're having a spinning problem. The other thing would be the dropper loop going to your sinker is the longer it is, the more things are going to spin. The longer your leader is going to your hook, the more it's going to spin. Um, you can let it down slowly and have your thumb on the spool. That's one of the reasons I like two foot leaders is there's no need for that. You just let it down, you know, boom to the bottom, you know, more time in the water, you know, more fish. I don't have, I don't always have the patience to sit there with my thumb on the spool, lowering it down slowly with a long leader. All right. Man, uh, I like our, I like your last category up in your grouper game. I mean, something <laughs> of a catch-all, but I think an effective catch-all. I mean, I, and I'm sincere. This is no tongue-in-cheek joke. So what are some elements, you know, that would help in general help us up our grouper game? Um, that's a, boy, I would say one thing would be to keep a logbook. Um, and it's, I, you know, a lot of guys talk about it, but not a lot of guys actually do it. So write everything down, you know, that you would think would be pertinent. Like my logbook, I write down, obviously, what areas I fished that day, um, what the current was like, um, what the sea conditions were like, what my anchor heading was, you know, I'll, you know, and after a while you figure out a pattern, oh, on a southwest wind, this ledge or this area tends to produce pretty well. On a northeast wind, not so much, um, th that sort of thing. So keep a logbook of, of that. And then also you'll find it helps you the next year because you're like, okay, it's May 1, it's grouper season. Where did I catch fish last year on May 1? Or where didn't I catch them last year on May 1? Um, so it, it just kind of helps you spend more time on the water in productive areas. All right. Check logbook. check <laughs> another way to up my grouper game. Um, one thing I would say is kind of don't take lost fish and tackle failures as just part of the game. Um, if you want to catch big 20, 30 plus pound grouper, um, you really got to bring your A game, so to speak. You got to make sure your knots are correct. And when you hook into that fish of a lifetime, so to speak, and you don't get it in the boat, a lot of people just, ah, that's just fishing. It is, but it isn't. You know, what could you have done differently to put those odds in your favor? And part of it is making sure, again, you know, your crimps are correct, your knots are correct, you're using strong enough leader, et cetera. Um, I, definitely fish with some buddies that like to use 80 pound fluorocarbon and it it works don't get me wrong but fish aren't very leader shy here it's not the florida keys so to speak and 80 pound fluorocarbon breaks a lot easier than 130 pound fluorocarbon does and so um i personally don't use 80 pound fluorocarbon for that reason i don't think it you know they're not catching more fish than i am but i'm definitely getting more monsters in the boat so to speak um I like it. I mean, I like everything about this podcast so far. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to say anything else under the up your grouper game. Yeah, one thing I would say would be I see a lot of folks who don't know how to maximize the leverage with their rod and reel, especially the way they hold the rod. And the common thing for people to do is to put their hand um, right where the reel seat is, whether it's a spinning reel or it's a conventional reel, you know, they often have that little trigger finger there. Yeah. And that works fine if you're um, fishing for smaller things or if you're jigging or things where you need a lot of wrist action. But for leverage, you're going to be best off putting your hand as far up that foam 
foregrip as you can. And I tend to keep my index finger and I tell my clients, but your index finger where the foam and the fiberglass meet. So your hand's closer to the center, closer to the fulcrum, so to speak, and gives you more leverage. You can, you know, you're fighting the fish in that case more with your arms and shoulders and bigger muscle groups as opposed to your wrists. Um, setting the hook, real, 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 or am I lifting? Real, 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 real. I tend, I, I'm a big believer in low gear um, for grouper fishing because it's it's all about torque and how are you muscling this fish out and your your options are to be very strong and use your arm to pull them out okay i don't find a lot of guys that are really that strong and they're pulling but the whole time they're pulling they're not really gaining that much ground and i don't think it's as effective the biggest fish i catch i'm basically fighting them with the reel you know the the they'll take the rod tip almost vertical into the water sometimes. I'm just not strong enough to pull up against them. But if I get it in low gear, it's just like winching them in. And I just reel, 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 reel. And that's oftentimes your best biomechanical advantage. Spooled with braid or mono? I like braid. Um, I think it's more sensitive. I think it's stronger. But you could get away with mono if you wanted to just use straight mono going to your three-way. You can. And... Any final thoughts? This is the culmination of our second podcast together. We are at the end. It's been fantastic. Um, but no, you have so much to share. I don't want to cut you off. No, I, I think a lot of people learn grouper fishing by going gag fishing, especially in the fall when they're closer in. If you're wanting to catch some reds and scamps, don't be afraid to go out deeper and put your time in. And pay attention to the images that we showed and, and what to look for and what not to waste your time on, and that'll help a great deal. And someone watching this podcast thinking, man, I want to go fishing with that dude. And your season you know, really starts May 1st. Right. And goes until the end of the year? Right. Um, so that's a good note, actually. So, yeah, I start running my charters May 1st when grouper season opens. Uh, red grouper don't open till June 1, and that's probably an important thing to mention. Check your regulations. Um, the red grouper is often, they are often shut down when a quota is reached. So some years they stay open longer than others. The scamps open May 1, and they'll be open through um, New Year's. They okay. close on January 1. And Todd, I think that brings us to the end. I mean, I'm Great. I'm going to have to think of what's the next topic to bring you in because I <laughs> love talking bottom fishing with you. But that's my burden, not yours, man. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Gary, 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 what a show, man. Man, he's speaking my language. Dude, May 1st. What are you doing May 1st, Todd? I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess he's booked. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what a what a great episode, Gary. That's good, man. I, I'm like ready to go. I'm All right, ready to go. Well, Billy, if I was, oh, you want my best takeaway? I do. If I was tying my own rigs, I think the hook in the wall is important to test that thing. I think you know if if you fail if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And so I think it's what I like about Todd when he comes on the show. He's always saying kind of like duh things like hey put a hook in your wall in your garage and really pull on those rigs um and then another thing was fight it with the reel not the rod and not even your arm because i'm a i'm an idiot like i'll fight i'll be like oh i get pulled in the water try to fight a grouper or something else so uh, to, i think that was two good things i'm like if i'm on his boat i'm gonna fight with that reel i think you identified two great billy best takeaways i think yeah. you're well on your way to upping your grouper game I'm going to. I'm just going to get it on a boat. <laughs> Speaking of, if you need a boat, get a marine warehouse and go find a boat. 
here and in the Charleston, South Carolina area, Gary. So yeah, man, knock and, it out. And as we point out, it's not just about new boats, but you need to get in and talk to them about new boats because a lot of it is ordering this year. A lot of it is ordering. You can't just walk on and take your choice because you know selection's limited. But what I like to stress, man, these guys are big on service, big on parts, and always point out, man, they're part of the fishing community. They're mm-hmm. part of the boating community, man. You want a relationship with them. Yeah, man. They're always doing tournaments and all kinds of stuff, promoting a lot of stuff, promoting this podcast, sponsoring this podcast. So love those guys, man. Yeah. Sponsor them. And I'll give a tournament plug. That's a great setup, Billy, Look whether you intend it or not. They do. To. Fisherman's Post does an inshore trail every year, a red drum trail. And Marine Warehouse is a long-standing supporter, sponsor, and they participate. Again, one of my favorite parts of their sponsorship is they fish every event. They're at registration. They're at weigh-in. They're at awards. You know, I, I love that part of it. Yeah, man. They're fishy. Fishy guys over there. Good one. You should call Terrell. <laughs> I should call Terrell. We yeah. get together and have a joke writing oh. session. Yes, yes. A force to reckon with. <laughs> All right, Gary. We'll see you later, man. Later, man. Fishing.